Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's a Wednesday afternoon here. Middle of a storm, actually, you know, stickle hurricane. Uh, and let me, I'm a little bit behind this week, so let me uh, turn my attention to the parsha. Um, before I proceed, uh, we don't have anybody for uh, Haftorah, which I'd like to do tomorrow if possible. Um, so if there's anybody who wants to um, sponsor Haftorah, that would be very good. Um, but this week's <coughs> parsha. As yesterday's, Abai is being sponsored by the same people by the Brahmins family. Here, Alan Janet, as I mentioned before, in the memory of uh, Alan's father passed away not long ago. There's an article about I've seen in the Jewish Times, uh, Irving Abramowitz. I mentioned yesterday, this is old Baltimore. Those of you from out of town probably don't know, but you know, I'm talking about somebody from the old family. Listen to this. There are not many families that stay Shomer Shabbos all the way through. You know what I mean, right? And not many families, so that's one of the Families that came here probably in the you know, 1900, 1880, whatever. It's just very interesting. Now his father, uh, Irving Abramowitz, among other things, was a big Zionist. I just want to share this story in the Mizrahi. Look, he fought in World War II. I mean, he he didn't fight World War II. He was served in the Army in World War II. He got lucky. He was in Alaska. That's because the senator told him, <laughs> told me a story. He said, if you're going to get drafted, learn stenography, typing, whatever, that way they use you in that way, and they did they use him in Alaska. So he was lucky. That's why there's a picture of him laning as a 19 year old GI in Alaska during World War II in a in a in a minion. Uh, but afterwards, he was a very big Zionist, and he made Aliyah at a he did a successful retirement, as we say today. And there's a letter he has with Ben Gurion, where he said, "What do you think?" This is long ago, obviously. I'm raising more money from Israel staying in America because he was a big fundraiser, among other things, for Israel, among other things. Should I, so Israel benefits more from being in America. And Ben-Gurion said, you should come here. And he wrote him a letter, which Alan sent to me. And uh, Ben-Gurion said something like, yeah, we need fundraisers, no question about it. Uh, but, and I'm reading you from the letter from Ben-Gurion to his father, a few years ago, a few weeks ago, uh, I was visited by a group of members of the American Jewish Committee from L.A. One of them told me, then collecting all the money uh, in Los Angeles and being sent to Israel. I asked him, why don't you come and settle in Israel? This Ben Gurion said, did. He said, he was going to collect the money. And I said, can I ask you a question? And the guy said, yes. And I asked him, do you know about this? Ben Gurion talking to this American Jew. Do you Amer- do you know American history? He said yes. Who built America? Those who sent money from Europe to America, or those who settled in America? You know. So basically, he said, "Come make Aliyah," and that's what he did. Now, by the way, as a historian, you can make a case that the people who invested in this country was also important. But you know, I I mean, I get it. This is just interesting. It shows you uh, who uh, Mr. Bromwitz was, and uh, 
Anyway, thank the family for the sponsorship, as they say to Shem Shavon Leah. The, uh, it's interesting, you know, some people know how to make the right kind of retirement. I think they had a place in the old city or in Rechavi or something. Anyway, let's take a look at this Parsha, which is the shortest Parsha, I think, right? It's a, this week, just not seven. It's not a double. Even when it's a double, it's nothing. But when it's a single, the lane will be over in 10 minutes. Now, um, I'll tell you what's really... Uh, but even though it's, sh- it's short, but it's very pithy, it's very packed. Uh, it really is. You could spend a lot of time, very interestingly, you know, dissecting, analyzing this Parsha, in my opinion. Uh, first of all, Moshe may have given a speech. He's about to die. That's the whole book of Dvorim, but particularly Atem itself. It's after the Tochachah, after he really vented and said, if you don't keep the missus, God will really come down on you. We know the Tochachah. And then he says, before I go, one more oath. Atem Nitzavim L'Hashem L'Kechem Let's do one more bris. I think this was what they call, you know, Arvis Moav. Moshe, of course, dies in Arvis Moav, plains of Moab. Um, and in the speech, as we know, he says, look, um, you are, I'm going to be gone soon. I want to make one last oath. Okay, fine. But then, what does he say? He says, um, It's not only you, everybody knows that. But then he says like this, but I'm worried about one thing, and this is, strikes me very relevant. I'm going by heart here. And so on and so forth. You lived in Egypt. And you saw the idols and the gods of Egypt, which he calls the Shekutzim and the Gilulim. So Moshe is already like a real frummy. He's not, he not even, can't even bring to say the word idol. You say a getchka, you know. The Shekutzim and the Gilulim. And he saw that they're made of Eitzvah and they were fancy looking. Stove and wood. Now, not a block of stone. Fancy sculpture. Look here. You know what ancient Egyptian art is. It's very impressive. There's a whole thing called Egyptology. One of the main uh, things they have in museums is the ancient art of Egypt. Whatever's left. And some of it's very impressive. And you lived at that time when it wasn't ruins. And when the pyramids were new. And the palaces and all this stuff were new. I mean, that palace where they have on the side the picture of Shishak, where is it? Uh, Abu Simul, I forget what it is. Where, uh, where, uh, Karnak. It's Jagunda. We, we have a, a bear a little bit left of that palace. Back in the day, I remember it had a huge... Listen, each of them had impressive stuff. And this is what terrifies Moshe. He said, you passed over here, and you saw their idols, and maybe it made an impression on you. Right? Penyeshbechem... Maybe some of you were poisoned by it. Now, I'll tell you what's fascinating to me. This is a speech just before the death of Moshe. It says, 40 years in the desert. The entire older generation has died out as a result of the sins of Meraglam. So anybody who's 20 and above, 
at the beginning is dead. Right? Whoever is left now is the new generation. Define the new generation. Whoever wasn't 20 at the time of the Maraglam. At the beginning. Fine. And of course, you know, therefore obviously their children. So whoever was born in, in the desert is Moses' audience. But it's also true that he's speaking to people, I guess, in their 60s, in their 50s, right? Um, that's the oldest group among them. If what I said was true, there were no senior citizens in the speech in Dvorb, right? Because they'd already died ever then. The speech of Dvorb is given at the end of the life of Moshe. By that time, they're all gone. Certainly after Tishabov, or Chamishasabov, they say, you know. In other words, six months, Chamishasabov, before Zion Adar, the last year of the life of Moses. So, Moshe's an old man, but he's it. I mean, you know, you got call and you'll show a few. But by and large, it's like the COVID, you know, killed off the older people. Right? That's just interesting. Um, if it applied to women, I don't know. Could be, they say, you know, different traditions. Some say the women were not part of the Maraglam, you know, whatever. If that's true, I repeat, if. Then you have a situation in which Moses has a, a, a an audience, which includes senior citizen females, but no senior citizen males. Nobody in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and so forth. That's just interesting. Now, the people, the oldest people he's got are those who were under 20, let's say 19, and so forth, teenagers, back at the time of Raglan. So these were people who lived the first two decades or something like that in Egypt. These are people, right? 19, 18, 17, basically one-year-old, two-year-old, five-year-old, people who saw Egypt in their childhood. But then left with the Yitzhak Mitzrayim. And then were part of the whole expedition of 40 years. So they saw Maimon HaSinai, the, 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 the Anone Akava, and all that business, the Mon, the Be'er, the miracles, and so forth. That's what he were. So here's somebody... <clears throat> Who is, as I say before, 60 years old. So, or j j around 60, just under. So 40 years ago, he was, what, 19 or, or whatever. So he saw Egypt in his youth. But he hasn't been there in 40 years. It's like somebody who, you know, was in World War II and then came to America. I mean, he hadn't seen the old country in a long time. So you think you'd get it out of the system. And those are the people Moshe is afraid of. Because he's obviously not talking to the younger generation. She could say him, not the younger generation. Right? Agreed? Anybody's younger is, you know, never saw Egypt. And to be perfectly honest, anybody's a little kid, a tiny kid, also a mice never saw Egypt. Does it have to be somebody who was 10, I don't know, 
15, you know, teenager, let's say, like that. Teenagers, maybe 5 to 10, I don't know, something like that. And Moshe scared of them. Because he said, the Rosheb of what you saw when you were young, I'm afraid, Moshe saying this, that left an impression on you. And it was attractive. And even though you've had 40 years of brainwashing from me, not to worship idols. That Egypt is a bunch of baloney. And we busted them. And we exposed their uh, 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 lack of power and so forth. We exposed when we did the plagues and we left Egypt. And basically it was all a fantasy. <clears throat> this belief in the, in the different gods. It simply wasn't true. Um... And you'd think they'd get it by now. But Moshe said, no. Those of you who yearn secretly or fantasize about what you saw in your youth. Which to me is amazing. And I would attribute this, first of all, Moshe's on the ball. It's, it's, it's trite for me to say that. But second of all, Moshe himself had been a priest of Egypt or something like that in his youth. If you go push him shot, he was raised, as we all know, in Pharaoh's house. We know the story. He broke out of it, eventually. There was a time that he was an Egyptian general in Ethiopia and all that business that you find in those old Midrashman, Josephus or whatever, right? So Moshe had lived that life. And he knew how impressive Mitzrayim is and how Mosheikh it is. And here, 40 years later, he's afraid that even though I am now about to administer an oath to everybody here, business, some of you are going to cross your fingers as you swear. <laughs> you know, some of you are going to make a mental reservation and you're going to lie. And you say, yes, I swear to follow the, the bris and, and, and the Allah, but I'm lying, right? Shalom yeli ki Meaning, I do whatever I want. Shalom yeli, peace will be to me. I'll be okay. Shurusli, I'll do whatever I want. So I'll say whatever I need to say to get this guy Moshe off my back. And I'll swear to keep the Torah and believe in God and not and disbelieve in the idols. But not really. Shurusli bilevich, I'll do whatever I want. And Moshe is so angry about this. It's lo yavashem that will bring a holocaust. Gulfries from El Shreifo Kalarza. This is a very interesting speech. Okay? Um, it goes on and on and on about this. Now, um, it shows you that miracles are, it's, you know, it's not necessarily that powerful. Well, let me rephrase that. Things that you see, especially in your youth, can have a very powerful effect on you. We know today with the internet and stuff like that, those people, I always come back to this. You know, there are those, certain things you see on the internet, for example, leave a permanent motion on you. And I'm not talking about X-rated things, although I'm sure that's also true. I'm thinking rather people are sickos and they watch beheadings and junk like that, like the Daniel Pearl, whoever goes on one of those shows and they got everything on the internet, I'm sure. The jihadists now on 
Afghanistan probably been mainstream TV chopping off people's heads. And if an American kid watches this, they get ruined for life. They got to see psychiatrists the rest of their life. And they don't cop. So what you see, Batiru, she could say, Ms. Gileab, what you see um, is a poor Rosh Hashanah. You, you, you're left with a, a real issues. You see? You can't exorcise it. It's in you. This is the defense of the friendly position. Better not to have a TV, better not to have internet and all. What the defense of that is, because you'll see things that'll leave a permanent impression on you. And it'll be almost impossible to get rid of it. It's it's really interesting that we read this always just either before Hashanah or, or Shabbat Shua. It's a, a, to me, it's very powerful. And uh, he goes on to give this whole long speech, as we know, warning them. Um, you can desensitize to it also, by the way. It's a matter of the culture you're raised in. I'm sure I mentioned this one time or another, but it comes to mind now. Years ago, I read a book about the war between Al-Qaeda on the one hand and the Saudi Arabian government and police on the other. Believe it or not, in Saudi Arabia, the government was considered insufficiently from Islamic style. Al-Qaeda over there wanted to overthrow the government. And uh, so they had a cat-mouse game between the cops on the one hand and the Al-Qaeda on the other. And I remember they captured some guy who was a Westerner. And the long and the short of it is they wanted to saw his head off in the family living room of the terrorists and then put a video out there which would bring them a lot of fans. Because not part of the world, you see something disgusting. They say, oh, that's the group I want to join. Especially the young people. The more disgusting and bloody, the more attractive it is in that culture. And they kidnapped a the guy. But by the time the story's over, I don't remember all the details. He tried to escape and they smothered him. Say he was dead from the smother. But they didn't want to be a Mavater on the video. And so they still showed the video of them sawing off the guy's head. And whoever it was, it was in his living room. And his kids were there, little kids. And they start complaining, Daddy, you promised us we would see blood squirting <laughs> when he cut off his head and not blood didn't squirt. He said that's because he was killed from the smother. My goodness. But through she could say him as Gilam you know, Rosh Malano. So there's a lot to talk about in that regard. Moshe concludes this little address by saying something very weird, which is Hanistoris Lashem Lakinum. What do you mean the hidden things are forgotten, the real things are for us? What does that mean? How is that a conclusion to the verse? Now Rashi, you know, the Gemara says different, you know, different ways of interpreting it. Um, with Rashi gives like a, a legalistic interpretation. <clears throat> the Bezdin is not commanded to go after it in this Taurus. Somebody, uh, if we have secret sinners... How should Bezdin know? You know? Um, they're only held responsible for the ones that are clearly public sinners and nobody does anything about. The uh, Ramban, I remember, says, Nisteros means the sins you do, like, unconsciously. You know? Let's say you step on somebody's foot and you, you hurt them and you don't even know you did it. You know, that sort of thing. And Haniglos, Lonovanenu, it be the sense you did consciously. That you have to do to Shuvon. You can't do Shuvon things you, you you don't know you did. That's that way of looking at it. 
what's fascinating to me, very fascinating, is the Rollbug and the Barbanel, especially the Rollbug. Um, because the Rollbug is associated with being the most left-wing of the Bible commentators, especially in the Roshonim times, in the 14th century. And the Rollbug's um, philosophy book is always considered extremely left-wing. But really, 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 there's more to him than that. I haven't done a, uh, I don't think I ever did a podcast on him. And he is, uh, he's firmer than he sounds. I, I hate to use that term, but you know what I mean. And it's unbelievable. In this week's Parsha, Hanistros Lashem Lokenu, Moshe Rabbeinu is warning the Jews that I'm telling you to keep all the mitzvahs. You'll ne- you can come up with reasons for the mitzvahs, but you never know the reason for the mitzvahs. Because in the start of Hashem Lokenu, Things that are hidden, meaning beyond human asogas, that's where God. Every mitzvah has a reason beyond the rational. The rational is the best the human mind can come up with. But there's stuff beyond that. Now, that doesn't sound like the usual Raubach that people think about. You know, Mr. Uh, what should I say? You know, modern Orthodox or something like that. Eh. And the Barbara also says that. Right? It's kind, of, it's kind of interesting. In fact, I think it was the Abarbanel... No, it was, um, it's Ralbug who says this was the mistake of Shlomo Melch. Can you believe it? It's Ralbug. He says Shlomo rationalizes, I think you know, and that's why he justified taking too many wives, too much gold and silver, and too many horses. And Taka messed him up. Talked about it before. And that's because he didn't understand the Ralbug says this pussy. Hanistro, Sashamokino, Anigla, Sonobanino. You and I have the Nigla part. We have to keep the mitzvahs. And you can come up with nigla reasons. That's okay. But always realize beyond the nigla is the nister. And he's not necessarily talking about Kabbalah and all the rest of it. Because even Kabbalah strives to come up with a reason. Just a Kabbalistic reason. He's saying there's no way that anybody, I don't care the Arizal, can figure out uh you know, what's really going on. Because it's beyond human asagas. And the Barbanel too, by the way. The Barbanel, I could hear it. Right? Um, the Rollbug is interesting, they would say it. But clearly, I mean, the, uh, the Barbanel Spanish and the Gersonides, the Rollbug is in France, in, in Provence. And... Uh, Obviously, Moshe Rabbeinu, when he's making this appeal and warning the Jews against what they re- repeating what they saw back in Egypt, is saying, according to this, don't look at the gods of Egypt, then compare the Jewish religion to the disadvantage of the Jewish religion, and say a lot of these ideas that we've been taught in Jewish religion don't make any sense. The Egyptian was better. Believe me, Moshe says, I haven't told you everything, because I can't. Even I, Moshe Rabbeinu, who know more than anybody else, because I talk to God, but I'm not God. I don't know the whole thing. And therefore, I'm just telling you, if there's something I'm telling you in the Torah to do or to refrain from doing, just listen to it. So I consider that to be a very, an extremely um, thought-provoking Ralbach. Um, and then you have, um, now I just did this in a ladies' class this morning, the problem with the verbs. I think I did in the past and people wrote to me, it's a Vyodata, you know, after this whole speech, 
Moshe gives another speech which he says, at the end of time you'll do tshuva and things will get better. And then you have a glorious utopia. That's the second half. When you're... Uh, I remember last year we talked about that. What's hashivos mean? It's a funny uh, Hebraism. Hashiv uh, is to return something as a transitive. You know, I'm returning uh, an object to you. Not an intransitive, where I'm myself are returning. So what does it mean, Hashivos But I don't want to go over that again. I'll do another one. Uh, it says in the Parsha that um, you'll start to rethink your, uh, you know, why you were in the Golas and all the rest of it. And, uh, All right, that makes sense. You'll return to the Lord or you repent. I can make something out of odd, but I won't. Right? But then the next Pasuk, Periklamet Pasuk Gimel, God will return your shvus and have mercy on you. B'shav v'kibetz mikol me'ashavitz ha'shama. How do you translate that? B'shav Hashem elkecha shvuscha. How do you translate that? So um, usually people are translating it. God will bring you back. You're going to hashivos alavecha. That'll trigger a slow process of repentance. B'shav Hashem elkecha shvuscha. And God will bring your captives back or something like that. But the problem is, you would have the reverse. Beshov is what you call intransitive verb. I am returning. I'm not returning a thing. I'm not returning something to you. So, why doesn't the Pasuk say, That's the right way to say it in Hebrew. Right? Agreed? Beshov means God is returning. And if you look, and all the translations, you know, um, if you look at all the translations, you're going to see that they are constantly looking to overlook that. Maybe Rashi does all that for all I know. And say, well, Bishal, but it means that God will make you return. God will return your captives, he'll return your fortune return something like that. And it bothered me, because that's not what Meshav means. I'm not the world's expert in Ivrit, but there are people who know less than me. I'm not the world's expert in Dictog, but there are people who know less. And I'm just wondering, and now before, when I sat down um, this afternoon, I just looked inside the Chumash here and there, and son of a gun, Samson Rafael Hirsch. Uh, because it says, he, I've told you before, I like Arya Kaplan. I like the way he usually translates. But not always. right? Because he's looking for smooth and elegant, which is fine, which is great. But smooth and elegant is sometimes at the, at the expense of precise and accurate. Translation is a fine art, and it's like a tightrope walker. You don't want to slip this side, you don't want to slip on that side. It's not so pushy. Um, but still, he's pretty good. And over here, it says, God will then bring back your remnants and have mercy on you. Okay? Have mercy on you. But 
one place to look for original translations into English is Hirsch. Same story for Hirsch. He, of course, translated into German, but they translated from the German and English. And he has a very fine sense, because that's who Hirsch was, of language, especially Chumash, um, of uh, concepts. And he pays attention, in my opinion, to fine points. And if you ever have a Hirsch Chumash, you know, with English, it's very interesting to compare the regular translations with his. He's very unusual, or often is. And here, I couldn't believe it. Like, ten minutes ago, whatever, before I started this, I just pulled it up and son of a gun. I'm looking here at this passage. What does that mean? He doesn't say, God will return your stuff. But rather, Hashem will return to you. And then God, thy God, Hashem el after you start to repent, God will also return to look after your exiles and have compassion on you. See that? S means sort of like, uh, what's the right word? Mita connected Mita, something like that. You'll return to God will return. To match your shove, God will shove. To match your return, God will return. Whereas we would say today, you meet Hashem halfway, He'll go to meet you halfway. Something along those lines. And I can't believe it. I'm looking at the Hirsch commentary. I have the old, you know, blue volumes. And it says, I'm, I'm reading from Rav Hirsch now. Sentences like, are so frequently occurring in the Prophets and the Psalms that, um, Make it seem that Shuv is used in a transitive sense and has the meaning of Hashiv. So in other words, many understand that all it says, which means God will return in a personal sense, in an intransitive sense. But they understand it poetically or whatever to also be able to use in Hebrew in a, in a transitive sense. Um, God will return your exiles back to Israel. But he doesn't agree. Apart from the fact that, except for this way of taking it, there is no example of a trans, transitive verb, there is no example of a transitive meaning of the root shuv, which is interesting. To Hirsch said, I looked at Old Tanakh, and you don't find Bishov, or something like that, used as you're returning something. But rather it means intransitive, that you are personally returning. Apart from the fact Except for this way of taking it, there is no example of a transitive meaning of the root shuv. Even our pasuk here would speak against such a way of taking it. He had exactly my taina. Clearly, with shav or acts which precede the leading of people back to their homeland, Okay, so so God comes back with your exiles. He also comes back to you. So. I'll tell you something. This morning, like I said, I had a class, and I said like this, You could be a Bible critic and say, You know, change the S to L. But that's what it says. You don't have to be a Bible critic. He says, S here means like that. God, you, you return to me, I'll return to you. 
You know what it reminds me of? Sometimes, if a, per- if a person is a good chatzkin, then a, a good chatzkin, then the guy is dating the girl, but each one's very, uh, you know, what's the right word? Closed. Played her cards close to the vest. He's afraid to say, I like her. She's afraid to say, I like him. You know, she'll say, what did he say about me? But she's her. And the smart shatchan will, you know, encourage this. If he sees it's going, if he sees it's a good shidduch, you know, something that could work. So he'll say, you know, he told me he likes you. He'll tell the girl, she told me she likes you. You know what I'm saying? You do shuv and Hashem will do shuv. He'll give indications that I recognize you're trying to return to me. Which is very interesting. And then, I mean, and that's the beginning of a process, because really, what's most fascinating about this passage, I don't know the most fascinating, but fascinating about the passage, is the nature of a chain. A leads to B, B leads to C, and so forth. Because at the beginning comes, you know, God will bring you back to Israel. Uh, and, uh, uh, and you'll have economic prosperity. And then, and then you'll have a real tshuva mi'avu. Then you have a real spirituality hit you. Not at the beginning. Uh, first, you have to come to Israel, and you'll have to shove, but it'll only be halfway. It won't be a real tshuva, because you're spiritually not capable of doing that. The most you can do is, I'll take a few steps towards the girl, the girl will take a few steps towards me. But eventually, then you'll have a real ruchnius, like a, a spiritual utopia. So, I would invite you, if you're interested in this at all, to look closely at these psukim, the way I'm just suggesting now, because you have a lot of time to Shabbos because it's a short parsha, And if you take it seriously, you deconstruct it along the lines of suggesting or any others, you'll find it uh, most of the remarkable speech that he's giving over here. Pretty much almost the last speech of his life. And you think that a speech like this must have left the audience wild. It's Moshe Rabbein about to go, and he's giving his last speech there. And he's, it's an emotional roller coaster. He just gave him the tochacha. And then he's giving him a promise of utopia if you do the right thing. Or maybe in future generations after Israel suffers Gufri's from Malach. And you think the people say, wow, we've just been through an emotional roller coaster. Baloney, not the Jews. Right? Moshe's wailing away and they're rolling their eyes. How do I know this? Because as soon as he finishes the whole speech, this is not beyond you. When one of the, uh, if you ever want to give a Muslim news, and you want it to be effective, everybody knows you got to be holding where your audience is. If you demand from them 150%, you'll get no percent. This is not realistic. You understand? You have to be able to speak to them at their level. You know, you have to be able to say, look, um, 
I'm not saying tomorrow you become the Vilna Gong, but you know, should increase your learning, increase your mitzvahs, and increase the davening. The kind of thing that we hear all the time. That's an attempt on the part of the speaker to get in touch with the audience uh, and say, listen, at least an old, you know, like I always say, try to improve one thing, try to be one thing, and so forth. Why don't you say try to improve 50 things? You say 50 things, it's not going to happen. Tavasta, Mubla, Tavasta. But if you say a certain amount, it'll happen. So Moshe just gave him a, a huge a vision with the Tocha, and then Po Rosh Valano, and Godfrey Tzimel for Arta, and then the other side of the roller coaster, we have Mol Hashem So people saying like this, he's beyond me. Moshe was already seeing, you know, he's up there, what he's thinking of, that's beyond me. It's like a mus- if somebody would get up and show and say, I demand this year, everybody learn 10,000 blocks. You know, ten thousand. Well, there. Well, ask me. You know, I know who he's talking to. <laughs> it's the wrong audience. And he has to say, "Lo b'shemayim, lo me'vayami, b'fichol vav chalasoso." So Moshe Rabbeinu gave his dying speech in front of a skeptical audience. Skeptical audience. And the lofter he went, the more it seems he was losing his crowd. Ad kedekach that he had to go. And um, sort of assure, reassure the audience that what he's saying is by no means impossible. I think that just shows you the human side, realistic side of the situation of Moshe Rabbeinu. Uh, so as you see, I just touched on a few points, but I don't want to go too long. It's already long. And you see that this short parsha has a huge amount of emotion in it. And... Uh, it repays a lot of, uh, it's food for thought. That's uh, my argument anyway. Once again, I want to thank the Abramowitzes of the Shalom Havaliyah. And as I said at the beginning, if there's anybody interested in sponsoring the Haftarah, let me know. Without a bit, we'd bid you a good day. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.